the Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Hello to all our listeners. Hey, everybody. We are getting close to the 100th episode. That's right. This is episode 99. Yeah. For those keeping track. That means that it was about this time two years ago that you actually asked me to do oh, this that's with right. you. And just for your information, listeners, that was like <laughs> a shocking thought for me to be on a podcast. Really shocking. And it was absolutely grace, Holy Spirit, prompting me just to say I remember yes. it. I was so grateful. I yes. was I was like like a lot of things, you need time to I do enter into a new idea, a new uh-huh. thought, a right. new adventure. And I was thinking, and I, in fact, I said to my team when the idea was proposed mm-hmm. that you and I do a podcast, mm-hmm. I said to my team, well, I'll, I'll present it to Wendy. It's going to take some time for her to think about it. Right. And, you know, I was thinking maybe like even a month yeah. or so for you to process the idea. Mm-hmm. And to my surprise, I asked you, and you said yes. I like, did. Right away. Yeah. That, that was amazing. Was, it, was, it was. Good on you, Wendy. Thanks. <laughs> it's that not really, my typical, but no. it has been a real gift for us. It has been a great gift. It has been a real gift for me. And a gift for me to be working mm. with you, Wendy. Thanks. Thanks. Really. Uh, we're going to do something special for our 100th episode uh-huh. next week. You're just going to have to tune in to find out That's what right. it is. We're not going to tell you what it is. <laughs> you have to tune in. Yeah, so what are our questions this week? Yes, I have a question here from Helene. Hello, Helene. Helene says, my husband and I have been married for 56 years. Wow, Helene, congratulations. That is awesome. It is. She says, my question is that you often refer to your heavenly spouse and your earthly one. My husband and I regard our golden years as very precious, and we are still Mm. extremely loving and caring towards each other. That's awesome. And love being together, even romantically. We are aware we will not be married in heaven. And I'm certainly aware that only the Lord can fulfill our innermost need for love. Is expressing my love to my husband a way of expressing it to the Lord? How do you see this in your heart? Bless you, Helene. I I want to address this uh, not being married in heaven thing. Mm -hmm. I don't think to just say flat out, I won't. We won't be married in heaven. Is is the the best way to put it? Okay. I know she's referring to a particular scripture, which is very important. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can't just dismiss it. It's actually quite critical in understanding the overall plan of God for everything. Mm-hmm. When Jesus says, "In the resurrection, we will no longer be given in marriage," mm-hmm. but we should not understand that as a, a negation but rather as a fulfillment, right? Nothing that is true, good, and beautiful about earthly existence gets deleted in eternity. It gets fully redeemed and completed in eternity. So, Helene, what what is so sacred to you about your marriage? What has brought you the most joy? Uh, And even the hard times, the the scars, the, the struggles... All of that gets taken up and redeemed and will shine with glory forever. So 
have no doubt you and your husband will have some special, unique bond that lasts forever. Mm-hmm. Uh, it'll be different than what you knew here on earth, but not different in any sense of negation, only different in the sense of fulfillment. And you know, Helene, the experience of how your marriage has blessed others, not only your children, but friends, extended family, your mm-hmm. parish community, your neighborhood. In eternity, your marriage will bless the whole communion of saints. Mm-hmm. So that's something to look forward to, that the, the, the goodness of your love for each other will not be deleted. It will be redeemed fully and completed, and that blessing will extend to the whole communion of saints. So I want to say that first, uh, and then I forgot what the rest of the question was, so you'll have to remind me. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, what was the rest of the question? Is expressing my love to my husband a way of expressing it to the Lord? Yes, 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 yes. I'm thinking of the scene from The Sound of Music mm-hmm. when Maria comes running back to the abbey because she's afraid of her love for Captain Von Trapp. Oh, yes. And the Mother Superior who, you know, this is one of the shining moments in in secular cinema mm-hmm. of the Catholic Church, and there aren't too many of them, as we know. <laughs> but the Mother Superior gets it exactly right. And it's very interesting. She's Maria is looking at a crucifix when she says to her Mother Superior, please help me. I'm ready to make my final vows right now. Please help me. And, and the mother superior says, the love of a man and a woman is holy too. And you have a great capacity to love, Maria. The question is, how are you to spend that love? And, and just because you love this man doesn't mean you love God any less. It's spot on. Mm-hmm. It's so good. It's exactly right. Uh, if you're living out the sacramentality of your marriage, meaning... You understand that your marriage and your love for one another is not your ultimate fulfillment. And it seems pretty clear from the way she's put her question. She already she already gets that, mm. right? Your love for your husband is not your ultimate fulfillment. It is a sacrament of your ultimate fulfillment. Mm. There are no sacraments in heaven. Why? Because you no longer need a sign to point you to heaven when you're there. You don't need a sign to point you to Disneyland when you're in Disneyland. You're there uh, to, to expect marriage itself to be ultimate fulfillment is like pulling to the side of the road when you see the sign for Disneyland and saying, hey, kids, we're there. Get out of the car. Um, It's the sign, right? Marriage is the sign that points to the ultimate reality. In as much as you love your husband as that sign and receive his love Mm -hmm. as that sign, the sacrament is doing its work of really and truly, the technical word is, efficaciously, that means really and truly, effectively communicating divine love. So Mother Superior from The Sound of Music had a spot on. In loving your husband, you're not loving God any less. In fact, your vocation is to love your husband. Mm -hmm. And in loving your husband rightly, and that means allowing your love to be continually purified, Mm -hmm. you're loving the Lord. And the Lord's loving you through Him. Yeah. I remember reflecting on what St. Paul says, um, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ and thinking about how we're reverencing Christ in the other person that yes, yes, um, yes. Christ is in my husband. Uh, Christ is in me. Yes. 
um, and that we are called to love Christ in our spouses. I think also of Mother Teresa's profound reflections on serving others, ministering yes, to yes, others yes. as being akin to Eucharistic adoration. Yes. Because Jesus is revealing himself through the yes, other. Yes. Um, so all of those things are just little ways of looking at the same question and answering right. it with a profound yes. And when I say, you know, I my heavenly spouse and my earthly spouse, um, I I am trying to acknowledge that there is a, a deep place inside that is meant for union with the Lord. Yes. But it's not meant to, you know, cause some kind of great separation like you're only my spouse of the earth. Right, it's right. just a temporary thing for my, you know, progress toward my heavenly spouse. But but I, I can see how it might sound that way. But that isn't that isn't what I mean by that. Yeah, that, we're not uh, instrumental in that sense. We're not merely a means to something right. else. There's the Lord is communicated in and through the sacrament, in and through the other. And just as we're saying, in loving the other, you're loving the Lord, and allowing the other to love you, you're letting the Lord love you. We can go the other direction and say, in failing to love. If I are in my failures to love you, Wendy, I am failing to love the mm -hmm. Lord. Mm -hmm. You know, what you do for the least of these, you do for me. Mm -hmm. And that's lived out in a very particular and very deep way in the sacrament of marriage. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I would even go on to say um, that that there are times when it's a challenge to love one another and consciously asking the Lord to just make it more apparent to my heart and to my consciousness. I'm loving you in loving my spouse. Yes, yes. That is a prayer that I do pray sometimes. And it is so meaningful because it just kind of melts away the, the dumb things that can get in, a, in the <laughs> way of just loving one another. Can you mean there are dumb things that yes, get in the way of you loving me? What, what could I mean? they possibly yes, be? I can't even... Just whatever the effects of stresses of the day, yes. things on our minds, things that didn't go the way we wanted them to, all they're dumb. Yeah. But but they're they, real. They are real. And they're aggravating. <laughs> and they're causes for our growth and holiness That's if we right. embrace them. But that is that so I just do want to put that, you know, as a, a real intentional thing to ask for the grace to see that I'm called to love you and I'm called to love the Lord in and through you. Um, that has been a huge help to me. Praise the Lord. Yeah. Thank you for saying yes. Mm -hmm. I receive. <laughs> and in receiving, I'm receiving the love of the Lord. There you go. How about that? That's, That's special. Awesome. Absolutely. The next question is an anonymous question. Um, I've heard that masturbation can be a good thing for a man to do for medical reasons, like that it prevents prostate cancer or erectile dysfunction. What does the church say about this? Sound medicine can never be in conflict with sound morality. It's impossible. So the two go hand in hand. Truth is truth, and truth cannot contradict itself. Mm -hmm. um, what is, I, I believe, I'm not a, a medical professional by any stretch. Yes, and I, I don't have any medical information on this topic either i'll just say right that. Yeah. but i i think the the medical point to be made is that uh, ejaculation is a healthy function and it could have healthy benefits mm -hmm. to ejaculate on a on a regular basis um, 
but one need not engage in immoral activity in order to have the benefit, right? If in the normal course of the male experience, when the semen is built up, mm -hmm. there is, to put it in a technical term, there is a nocturnal emission mm -hmm. that is a very normal and natural reality of male functioning. Mm -hmm. And there is no moral fault in a wet dream or a nocturnal emission. Uh, and that is the, the body doing what the body's created to do. Mm -hmm. So the benefit is there. One need not engage in the immoral behavior of masturbation uh, to have the benefit. The body will take care of itself in that regard. But while the question is being raised for maybe some new listeners out there or people who just may not have the formation to, mm -hmm. to understand, let's talk about why masturbation is contrary to the dignity of our humanity. Mm -hmm. It's contrary to the dignity of our humanity because the purpose of sexual climax is communion. It's life-giving communion. We're made in the image of a God who is an eternal exchange of life-giving communion. Mm -hmm. And God created us with the capacity for life-giving communion. Uh, the very purpose of the male and the female climax is to foster that communion. When we masturbate, we are acting in exactly the opposite direction. The goal of the orgasm, the goal of the pleasure associated with it is no longer self-gift for the sake of communion and new life. The goal is self-pleasure. And when we are habituated by masturbation, our whole inner psychosomatic, by that I mean body-soul reality when it comes to a kind of sexual programming that we are forming in ourselves mm -hmm. through masturbation becomes an inversion of erotic desire. It becomes about pleasing myself. A man, for example, we go the other way with a woman just as, as easily, but for the sake of example, a man who is addicted to masturbation, and by that we mean he cannot say no. Uh, and how do you know if you're addicted to masturbation? Well, start saying no. And if you, if you find that after a few days you're falling back into the habit, then you are not free, right? Sexual freedom does not mean the liberty to indulge your compulsions, as I've often said. It means rather the liberation from the compulsion to indulge. Mm -hmm. And this is so critical because only such a person is free to be a gift. So back to my example, a man who's addicted to masturbation, suppose he's been masturbating since the early age of a teenager, now he's in his 20s and he wants to marry. What's the wedding night going to be? Mm -hmm. He's going to transfer the programming of self-seeking pleasure now onto his wife. And the wife will become just a means for him to masturbate. Uh, this is not an act of self-giving love. This is not an act of of gift at all. It's really a taking and a using of the other to please oneself. Uh, the good news is, however deep into a habit or an addiction you may be, liberation is real, liberation is possible, not without hard work, not without good counseling, spiritual direction. We spoke in an earlier episode just recently about following 
the the patterns of your sexual fantasies and sexual attractions back to traumas in your life that may be at the root of these kind of behaviors. Um, rather than beating ourselves up for our sexual failures, we should allow those sexual failures to teach us what we're really desiring. Uh, bad desires can only be overcome with good desires and the proper fulfillment of good desires. Uh, so I, I hold that out to anyone out there struggling. Please look into our resources for counseling if you're in need. Uh, we are not counselors. We always want to reiterate that, but we can point you in the direction of good counseling if you're in need. Mm -hmm. Look in the show notes. I, I like that challenge that you held out about just saying no to understand what the state of our heart is. And sometimes that's the scary thing. I don't really want to know. I would rather say I'm only doing this because it's healthy than kind of look at what else is going on inside me. So I think that's a, just to acknowledge that's kind of a scary challenge. And, you know, the thought of, you know, maybe for some people, some men, the thought of experiencing that nocturnal emission is just very um, frightening or somehow, you know, I want to have control over this. Right, I don't right. like the thought of that, you know, to open that up to the Lord and ask him to really show you that he made your body and it is good. Right. If anything, you know, we want you to take away your body is good. Yes, we are all affected by sin and the fall, but to know the goodness of your masculine body and sexuality and just open up to the Lord, allowing that, you know, to, to inform your decision out of love and respect and understanding yourself as gift, like a good gift. I is... just had, I'm sorry to interrupt, but oh, I just, okay. this, this like thing just came over me. Like the realization of the gift of being a man is we as men, it's written right in our bodies that we are to image mm -hmm. the fatherhood yeah, of God. Right. And I've said this before on the podcast, I'm sure, at some point, but where do we get the word testicles? The word testicles shares the same root as words like testify, mm -hmm. testimony, mm -hmm. testament, right? What is the Old Testament? What is the New Testament? What are they testifying to? They're testifying to the love of the eternal Father. Mm -hmm. What a privilege. We as men have testicles to testify to the love of the eternal Father. Yes. And, and when our bodies are doing what they are made to do, and our hearts are open to the love of the eternal Father, we are becoming true images of the Father. Astounding. Astounding. Mm -hmm. Anyway, mm -hmm. sorry, Wendy, you were... You were... No, I just... I, I, thank you for sharing that, and I think that's so helpful. Yeah, so we're healing. good. Your body's good. Guys, right. your body's good. My body's right. good. All the, the we, you know, when we don't know that, when we can't talk about this frankly and openly and honestly, it comes out in locker room mm -hmm. conversation and jokes and crassness. And, you know, I'm all for, for fun humor about bodiliness, as anybody who knows me knows. But when it turns crass, there's something off, you know, there's something funky. Uh, I'll often say in my talks, you know, um, we're so ill here, we, we can't even speak about our genitals without making up these crude, rude, derogatory terms. Mm -hmm. 
why is that, right? I can talk about my elbow without flinching. I don't have to make up a stupid, crude term to talk about my elbow. So anyway, my, my point is we need to reclaim the original beauty and goodness of our bodies and what we're created mm -hmm. to do as men. Our next question is sort of related. Mm -hmm. It's from a listener named Rob who says, Hey, Rob. Does the theology of the body give any advice specific to doctors on how to incorporate TOB into healthcare? Uh, it does talk about uh, science and medicine, uh, not in an in-depth way, but it talks about some of the dangers of science and medicine when it's disconnected from what John Paul II calls an adequate anthropology. Mm -hmm. What is an adequate anthropology? Adequate means equal to. That's what the word actually means. Adequate, right? It's equal to what? Well, anthropology is the study of who we are as human beings, but we need a vision of our humanity that is equal to what a human being really is. That's an adequate anthropology. And what has happened in modern sciences John Paul does speak about this directly in The Theology of the Body, is a rupture of the body and the soul in which the body is treated as an object, a thing. Now, there is a certain uh, objectivity that is required of a surgeon, for example, mm -hmm. when he operates on a patient. So let, let's hope he's being objective in his understanding of the body and its functions. But when objectivity turns into a kind of objectification, mm -hmm. then we're robbing the person of his dignity. I couldn't think of anything more helpful for modern medicine than to be immersed in an integral vision of the body and the soul. Uh, we, we, uh, we have in Western medicine, uh, praise God for Western medicine, before I say anything else, Right? I would not be alive mm -hmm. without Western medicine because I had an appendicitis when I was 11. Uh, that would have killed me, uh, most likely, had I not had surgery. Uh, and a broken femur from a ski accident, mm -hmm. that would have killed me for sure, had I not had modern Western medicine to repair me. Right, So thank God for that. But there is, there is much to learn also from the medical traditions of other cultures. And other cultures often have a more integral view of the body and the soul and how those are interrelated. Theology of the body can be a great tool, a great help for a doctor in reclaiming that integral vision of the human person. Uh, I, would, I would recommend that this person, whoever he or she might be, uh, seek out uh, the Catholic Medical Association or, or any other group of Catholic medical professionals to just be in fellowship with other doctors to learn from them about how they meet these challenges. And they are real, because if you just absorb the vision of the human person given by modern medical training, you will end with a very disintegrated vision of the person. And you will, you will end up treating the body as a tool, as a thing to be manipulated, dominated, and controlled without realizing the impact that, that has on the person. Mm -hmm. So just some food yeah. for thought. And I think, too, you have um, some of the principles we already just talked about in our last question, but about the concept of each and every human being as being indispensable, irreplaceable, 
unrepeatable, and a gift. I think those kinds of principles, if you just stop and ponder that, um, this it is so helpful when, as a doctor, you have to choose whether or not to recommend something that may be available medically, but in your understanding as a Catholic is not truly good for the person. Right. And, you know, you have a person before you who's suffering in some way and to be able to explain, you know, what is the, the why behind the what of not offering certain treatments or, you know, not recommending them. That's an opportunity where your, your medical practice is actually proclaiming the gospel. Yes, amen. And so what a way to be a light in the world. What a privilege you have, and anybody in healthcare, you know, of being so close to people in times of suffering and need um, is already, you know, a great gift to you. And if you experience it that way, it's uplifting to them as well to know that, you know, you are honored to be close to them in their time of need, um, that you see them as, you know, a unique person whose concerns, whose, you know, sufferings matter. Yes. All of that is also, without even speaking, that is coming through and proclaiming the good news that Christ came because he loves us. He took on a body. Yes. He knows what bodiliness is. He knows yes. what physical suffering is. So, you know, yes, theology of the body impacts so much the practice of medicine and healthcare. And I, you know, the question was worded, is there any advice specific to doctors? And, you know, that that's one question that, you know, you're talking about that wasn't the focus of theology of the body right. as it was written. However, um, it is so informative to the, the most healing kind of medical practice. When I was in the hospital for my broken femur, mm -hmm. um, you stayed with me, of course. It was five days together in the hospital, mm -hmm. which was kind of nice to yeah, have that a little retreat. <laughs> time away, you and yeah. I. But I afterwards, I wrote a blog, and we'll put a link to it in the show notes, uh -huh. called Theology of the Hospitalized Body. Uh -huh. And I talked about my experience of different healthcare workers who took care of me. Mm -hmm. And you're in such a vulnerable place when you're in the hospital. You're really at the mercy of others. And I remember a particular uh, nurse's aide who would tend to me in the night when I needed help, who was so attentive to me as a person, not just as another patient he had to get to or another person he had to deal with right. uh, or another, you know, number on a list. But I felt seen, I felt acknowledged, I felt truly cared for. And then there was a doctor, I remember he irked you quite a bit as well, who just was doing his rounds and, I, you know, give him the benefit of the doubt. Maybe he's just having a bad day. I don't want to make some blanket statement like I could see into his soul <laughs> and he was treating me like a thing. Uh, and you treat all your patients like things. I know it. No, I don't. I don't know that. But... I, can't, I do know the way it felt, mm -hmm. and it was a contrast mm -hmm. to that nurse's aide. With him, I felt like a person. With this other doctor, I felt like a number. I felt like a thing. I felt not seen. And, you know, we've all had, or maybe not all, but many people have had that experience of maybe a doctor who's very skilled at his 
whatever his skill is, mm -hmm. uh, but doesn't have the bedside manner. Mm -hmm. And my mom, who works as a hosp hospital chaplain, mm -hmm. has envisioned many times a, a theology of the body based program for medical professionals to help them with that bedside manner. And it does, it would come from integration, from seeing the body before you is not just a thing that you operated on, but it's the revelation of an, as you said, Wendy, an indispensable, irreplaceable, unrepeatable person. And on that note, mm -hmm. we invite everybody out there who listens to us, you know where this goes, <laughs> to remember always that you are indispensable, irreplaceable. You are an unrepeatable gift. Become what you are. Ask Christopher West is brought to you by the Theology of the Body Institute with music by Mike Mangione. Christopher and Wendy hope that the information provided is helpful to you, but remind you that they're not licensed counselors. If you're going through serious difficulty, a list of trusted counselors and psychologists can be found in the show notes. Thank you.